Welcome, welcome again to another episode of WTF Interview. My name is Sir Royce Brialis, and I have my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, brother? I'm well. How you doing? I'm well as well. Good. All right. Also, on the call, on the line, we have uh, Dr. Brandon McLeod. Did I say your name right? Brandon right. McLeod. Brandon. Yep. Brandon McLeod. My apologies. No problem. Uh, yeah. Uh, tell us about yourself, man. What do you do and uh, how many kids do you have? Yes, yes. Uh, I am a social work researcher. I work at University of Illinois Chicago in the Jane Adams College of Social Work. Uh, I am a father of uh, a 17-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl, uh, and I'm learning every day uh, about, you know, fatherhood and family. Uh, I've been married for, for 18 years now, um, and it's been a, a great experience. Sounds good. So how did you, um, how did you learn about being a father? Yes, yes. I, I feel like that's a dynamic question. You know, for, first and foremost, I think, you know, we learn about, well, I learned about being a father from being fathered myself, right? And so mm -hmm. learning from my own dad and my grandparents, um, you know, it, it's, it's more than just one person, but it's a village, right? And so, yeah. you know, I feel like my, my dad has the, had the primary role in being an accessible, involved, and responsible dad. Um, and I also had grandparents, uncles, you know, and so on, who all had a hand in raising me. Um, but we cannot forget, you know, our mothers and grandmothers and aunts and, and everyone who's yeah. had a part, in, you know, in, in, in our upbringing. So and so I want to give, you know, much respect due and notice to to those folks. Okay. What are some of like the challenges you've experienced as uh, as a dad so far? Um, so it's interesting, you know, so let me kind of step back a little bit, you know, I think, you know, one of the most, the, the, one of the anchoring concepts to me, uh, and learning about fatherhood is when in, it was in my journey, uh, receiving a PhD at, um, Morgan State University in Baltimore City in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and that's when I learned about the threefold topology of a fatherhood involvement, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Around that time, you know, my children were probably around the ages of, uh, you know, five uh, and, and, and eight, right? right? And so at that time, you know, well, let me kind of talk a little bit about this, 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 this concept. You know, when you talk about this concept of fatherhood involvement, it involves a father being accessible, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that means having contact and having some sort of, you know, proximity to your child, right? Yeah. And there's the engagement piece because you can be an engaged, you can be accessible, but not engaged, right? You can be present, but not be a part of, of the experience of engaging your children, right? And so that's a, another anchoring concept or dimension in this, in this. And then also there's the responsibility factor, right? That goes yeah. beyond sort of being accessible to your children, uh, engaged in their lives, but also responsible in terms of, you know, their education, uh, doctor's appointments, you know, child care, you know, uh, of course, you know, one of the m main things about being a parent is being, being able to provide, right? And so all those mm -hmm. things sort of, sort of fit together. But you mentioned the, the challenging part, right? And I think the challenging part is that, you know, fathering and parenting in general is, is a fluctuating and vacillating experience because as 
children grow, they change, right? They yeah. develop and they're not the same child they were at the age of three, at the age of seven, at the age of 12, at the age of 17, right? Yeah. They, they, they figure themselves out. And so with that, you have to figure yourself out and you have to figure out your ways of parenting and what works for your relationship with your children. And again, right, each child is different, right? And so you might love right. them the same, but you treat them uniquely because they're unique human beings, right? With their own personalities, their own interests, right? And, and, and what they bring to the table. So you have to bring something to the table to sort of supplement or, or you know, what they're going through and to assist them. And so that's when, that, that's a, a ever-changing process. Okay, that's great insight, man. So you, you talked about how the children change throughout like the different ages. How have you changed as a father? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, so I would be remiss if I didn't sort of talk about, you know, the, the, the marriage piece with that, right? Because that's, mm -hmm. that's important. You know, you can't be, uh, uh, it's kind of hard to be a parent in isolation. Yeah. Right. And so I feel like you have your, you know, your romantic partner for me is my wife, right? To be able to sort of support and also challenge some of the, you know, maybe some of the the ways I might go about, you know, uh, fathering sometimes, right? Uh -huh. You know, and it's sort of a balance, right? You know, you talked about sort of how did things change? It's like, okay, well, once a child gets to be 12 and then they get to be 13 and then they get to be 17 and they're kind of like feeling their independence, it's like, how much do you let up and how much do you kind of stay on them, right? Are you a helicopter parent, sort of always around hovering? Or do you give them some, 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 some space? And so that's been the, the tricky point. That's been the balance there. And I really feel like my wife has been really helpful uh, in challenging me to sort of like strike that balance. Like, when is it a time to sort of like be there and kind of like, hey, what's going on? And then when is there a time to sort of say, okay, back them up, back up a little bit. Let's give some space. Let them mm -hmm. figure this thing out by, you know, on their own. Right. And so you have to kind of figure out that 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 balance. Right. What's that that, that good balance? And I think that's been the most challenging um, part okay. for me. OK, cool. So um, I know that you said that you went to school, you got your Ph.D. from uh, school in Baltimore. That's right. Are you from Baltimore? I'm from Philadelphia. OK. Okay, I see. <laughs> I'm from Philly. Uh, I did that for, I, should bring, I should bring my camera down a little bit. There we go. I'm from Philly originally. Um, I say this is kind of what I say. I say I'm, uh, you know, I'm born and raised in Philly. I matured in Baltimore, and I'm spreading my wings in Chicago, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, I lived in, in 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 Philadelphia from the ages of birth to you know about 22, right? Uh, then I graduated from Lincoln University in Pennsylvania went to be my my fiance at the time now my wife who's from mm -hmm. brooklyn new york um moved to baltimore continue our education in the in the you know higher education systems there so i went to university of maryland school of social work for my master's in social work went to morgan state university for my phd and and so we were there for 14 years and we really learned to sort of like get independent because we were away from our families right you yeah. know her family's in new york my family's in philadelphia uh, not still not too far, right? Um, but just far enough that we had to figure out what what family life looks like just to, just amongst the four of us. And so I spent 14 years. We spent 14 years in Baltimore. Now we moved to uh, we're in Oak Park now, 
uh, and been here since 2016. Now we're even further from our families and we're really trying to figure this, this family life out uh, together. Um, I'd say a critical juncture is, and I'm kind of, you know, you can stop me, I'm kinda, but, I'm, but these things kind of flow together a little bit. Um, right before I left Baltimore and I was, you know, while I was earning my PhD, obtaining my PhD, I was also running a fatherhood group at a federal detention center uh, mm -hmm. with one of my dissertation committee members who sort of introduced me to this, this group. And I did that for about three years. And one of the common themes was when we talked about, when we talked to dads about what, what sort of led them, what sort of, what was the sort of turning point in their lives? Because again, they're in the detention center. They're, yeah. they're seeing federal time. Regardless if some of these dads had dads in the household, two intact parents, or they didn't have an intact household, the age of 13 was critical mm -hmm. for them, right? Because that is when they sort of felt, they started feeling themselves. They started feeling their independence a little bit. And they decided, right, whether the streets was going to raise them or whether, you know, the family life had enough a hold on them. Yeah. So 13 always stuck out to me, the age of 13, particularly for these young men, right? Most of, most of whom were African-American, some were white, some were, were Latinx, right? But most of them were African-American. And I thought about that. And around that same time, right, 13, that they talked about was the age that we left Baltimore, we left the East Coast to move to this area here. And my son was going to eighth grade, new middle school, you know, it would be his last year in that middle school. Mm -hmm. and, and so on. So I always thought about that in the back of my head, like, okay, 13, we're, we're moving from a familiar place that, you know, he was born in Maryland, born, born in Baltimore, move into the Chicago land area, and it's all new to him. Like, so how much, how much uh, 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 is, is the context going to shape who he is? Um, and so that always stuck out to me. And I, but I do think that family life has always been a significant factor and anchoring him, even though, you know, he really adapted well to his environment. You know, he, he really yeah. liked the Oak Park area, so does my daughter and so on. So they know where to return to, even though they might, you know, spend more time with their friends, right, than they do mm -hmm. with us sometimes. And so that's just something that's kind of stuck out. So sorry for kind of going on too, too far. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, you good, man, you good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a question about uh, your father. Yes. Um, how close were you to your dad and uh, what's one thing that uh, you've taken from your dad and, and using your father, your fathering of your children? Yeah. So I'm really close to my dad. You know, you know, my dad was always in, in, in the house, um, taught us spiritually, you know, um, taught us, you know, values in life, uh, took us places. Us, I say us because me, my mom, uh, my older brother, right, who's two years older than me, um, in Philadelphia, right, but they, but also we had grandparents out in the burbs, you know, one set of grandparents, so they were out like 30 minutes away, uh, more in like a really quiet area, and then we had another set of grandparents, my maternal grandparents, who were um, and still in West Philadelphia about 15 minutes away, um, and I feel like him, his family, and my mom's family, you know, that was the village right there, um, and so, I think that really provided for a really rich experience growing up for me in terms of not riches in terms of like wealth, but in terms of like uh, what life is really about, 
and what are some of the lessons there. Uh, but also at the same time, you know, 13 came about for me too. My brother, he was 15, you know, and so as being a younger brother to an older brother, you hang with some of his friends and, you know, we got into some trouble and everything like that, but we always knew at the end of the day, you know, where, you know, where we needed to be. And I think having the fear, you know, you know, loving my dad, but also having that fear, that fear factor was really important too, right? And so, you know, it's respect, it's love and fear. And I think all those things are pretty important. That's cool. Can you, um, you know, from the outside looking in, for well, for me in particular, it always seemed like Philadelphia was just like a, a cultured place, especially mm -hmm. for black people. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking about like the yeah. roots, uh, mm -hmm. Jill Scott. Um, it just seemed like, you know, the, the black people that come from there is just cultured and, mm -hmm. you know, in tune. So can you talk about like the culture in Philadelphia? Yeah, I mean, you know, and even Chicago has this black culture, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's another American great city. Uh, Philadelphia is, is, I'd say, much small, smaller than, than Chicago. And I feel like for that reason, it's, it's easier to navigate, right? I feel like your sense of community mm -hmm. is, is because of that, you're able to sort of connect a little bit more. Um, you know, of course, the jazz scene is major in, in, in Philadelphia. My yeah. dad is a musician, you know. Um, my mom, later on in life, you know, started playing. My dad played, plays the drums. And later on in my life, my mom started playing the keyboard. And so they, you know, they jam, they get their jam sessions on, man. They, you know, they asked me for my, <laughs> for my 30th birthday party and back in Maryland, they were the live band. You know, it was, you know, my, my mom, my dad, my cousin, one of my mom's friends. And actually um, my, my half sister, I met at my 30th party and she sung vocals. Uh, and that was pretty significant for me. Cool. So that was really cool. Really cool. Y'all had a whole band. They had a whole band, but me and my brother sort of deviated. Now my brother plays around with the, you know, plays around with the um, bass a little bit, but you know me, you know, I just didn't. It didn't stick. It didn't stick. So, did your uh, did your parents want you all to pursue like careers in in music? Not necessarily. You know, I you know I think we're both. You know, my mom is an educator. She's a teacher, right? Okay. Um, that was her thing. She taught. She wasn't uh, a musician then. You know, she was a teacher. She was a mother. She was a wife, you know, a daughter. You know, that's kind of her focus. She just wanted us to matriculate, you know, through the education system and do well. Same thing with my dad. Same deal. You know, but, you know, every now and then he would like, okay, let's pick up these drumsticks. Let's pick up these, uh, <laughs> you know, let's, you know, maybe you should pick up a bass. So I had a guitar and all that, you know, but did I stick it out? I didn't stick it out too, too well. But then, you know, <laughs> let's talk about hip hop. Right, so you got hip hop too. It's funny because me and my friend actually started a rap group uh, back in the day, and so it didn't go anywhere, you know. But that was my. <laughs> hey, we had one too, bro. Yeah, we had one too. <laughs> see, it's like that. I actually had my dad's drum machine. He had a beat machine. We used that. We would sample instrumentals and rap over them. You know, we just we did things like that. So, and they didn't get mad at that. They didn't say, "No, you need to get these drums." You know, you pick up the pick up the you know the uh, guitar. It was like whatever, you know. So they they, they let me flow with that. Okay. <laughs> uh, can you talk about um, the project that you got going on with uh, UIC? Sure. Like the research that you all are putting on. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, yes, we are. So we have a, a community partner who reached out to some colleagues of mine, 
And so this community partner is the Chicago Advocate Legal. Chicago Advocate Legal reached out to my colleague, Dr. Kaylin Flynn, and Dr. Kaylin Flynn pulled in uh, Dr. Aaron Gottlieb and myself uh, for this project. So this project focuses on, and so this community partner, Chicago Advocate Legal, found a need. They noticed that without legal representation, fathers in particular who had child support debt uh, were at risk of incarceration. But there was no data that really provided any evidence about how many dads, how many non-custodial parents end up in jail um, because of or due to child support debt or arrearages. Mm-hmm. So um, my colleague Aaron Gottlieb and I, prior to this, have a, had a study that we did um, using the Fragile Families and Child Wellbeing data set that looked at um, the relationship between child, child support debt and, and um, incarceration. And we found that, you know, if someone is incarcerated, their child support debt continues to grow, right? Yeah. And so that was sort of a, a, an anchoring study. Now that was focused on more of a, a, a national data set. We we're trying to really focus on Cook County. And so she wanted to partner with us to sort of, you know, go down this road to identify, identify that. So, We've been, you know, applying for funding for the past year and a half to, to, to figure this out. And we finally received internal funds from UIC's Center for Health Equity and Research um, to fund this pilot study. And so what we're essentially trying to do is we're trying to look at uh, public records um, to see how many, what, what the scope of, uh, what the scope of the problem is in terms of how many fathers actually wind up incarcerated due to child support debt. So that's the first aim. But the second aim is to get more, um, to, to have more of a qualitative understanding of what's going on because of this. And so what we're, tr- the second part of this is, and this is why I sort of, you know, called you all in to, to seek out and see if there are any dads who have child support debt, right? Mm-hmm. And to get a better understanding of their family relationships, you know, the mental health, um, what their fathering experiences are, uh, and, and, and so on. And so that's what this, this study is really about. So we're looking, pretty much looking for, uh, in the first stage, 10 dads to sort of understand their story, right? As it pertains to um, the court process in Cook County of going through the child support system. And so that's pretty much what it's really about. Okay. So can you, um... I know, like, why, why, why do dads get locked up because they can't pay their child support? Yeah, knowing that if they are locked up, they can't work. So, right, why is that even um, the, the thing? That's what we're trying to figure out. You know, so I think some of this that in, in some of our initial interviews with stakeholders, right? Um, this kind of goes back, and it's interesting, and it's a shame that this law still exists. But in Illinois, there's a law called the Deadbeat Parent Act, right? Mm-hmm. And the Deadbeat Parent Act, and so I'm, I'm summarizing here, it's just a pretty much of a, a synopsis. Once a parent, a non-custodial parent who owes child support owes more than $5,000, right? They're mm-hmm. considered a deadbeat parent and their uh, likeness is placed on um, the state website. And it shows 
their names and how much they owe and it has their picture on it. So I'm not sure if stigmatizing um, parents is going to get them to pay. But there's been research in the past uh, by folks like, uh, you know, scholars such as like Ron Mincy and Irv Garfinkel uh, and many others and many others, you know, um, Waldo Johnson uh, and so and so many others and sort of look at, you know, these 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 issues. And one term that came out, I'm sure you all heard this before. There's nothing. It's not new. It's pretty much understood now that it's not a dead beat problem. It's a dead broke problem. Right. And so if someone already has, let's say someone already has a, 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 a you know, criminal record, even though they've done their time and it still lingers and it hasn't been expunged or shielded from the public view, um, it's hard to find a, a, an employment. Um, if they don't have, you know, the, the credentialing to receive those those funds, how can they get, you know, how can they get a job? Yeah. Right. So, so all these things come into play, right? Um, but that, it still lingers, right? I think there's a, under, there's a better understanding now that this is not an issue of people trying to sort of usurp or not, or not pay any debt, but it's simply hard to pay because they don't have the means to, to do so. So um, like what made you want to get into this type of work? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, let's talk about social work, right? Mm -hmm. So, or the human services field. So, you know, when I was at Lincoln University, I studied human service. They didn't have a social work degree program and I minored in criminal justice. And so once I got out of Lincoln University, graduated from Lincoln University and, and moved to Maryland, I decided to get a master's in social work. And my initial reason for getting a master's in social work was to be a clinician, right? I wanted to you know, do case management, I wanted to do counseling and, and so on. So, but I soon realized that many of the families I was working with or you know, working in certain agencies, many of the issues were policy issues or structural issues that needed to be changed. Yeah. So I changed my direction instead of being a clinician, right? I minored in the in the clinical aspects, but I majored in sort of the management and community organizing and policy aspects of social work. And that led me to a lot of different groups who were doing a lot of great things. Mm -hmm. One of those groups is the Maryland Alliance for the Poor or MAP. And so that's a coalition, right? That my organization at the time, which was called Maryland Budget and Tax Policy Institute, now it's called Maryland Center for Economic Policy, was a part of. It's a 25-member organization, really made up of, you know, religious-based groups, nonprofit groups who are doing work from, you know, housing and trying to eradicate homelessness to hunger, um, ben public benefits, um, bringing more um, revenue to the state uh, in a way that's more progressive. And so that was one of our focus, you know, one of our foci as well. And, um, uh, you just get introduced to so many groups doing great things. One of those groups was Job Opportunities Task Force, and they still exist to this day, but they were one of our member organizations, and they did a lot of work around expungement, criminal, criminal, records reform, uh, criminal justice reform, and they really got me excited about the work that they were doing. And mm -hmm. um, through them, I learned about this group called Out For Justice, OFJ, uh, which is a grassroots organization um, that does policy and community organizing work 
around expungement and the rights of people who are re-entering re society from the justice system. And um, I became a member of that group and, you know, did some research for them, you know, when they were doing some of their policy work, did some testimony at the state capitol, and then I joined their board um, for about a year or so before moving here to um, Illinois. But those, those experiences really, you know, meant a lot to me. Also, I say social work again. I was a, a field instructor for about seven students, you know, over, over the course of two years um, who were placed at an organization called Center for Urban Families, where Joe Jones, who's the founder and, and CEO, uh, runs the organization. And he has a lot of great staff over there who are doing great work. Um, who run fatherhood programs. They have programs called, such as uh, Couples Advancing Together that focuses on co-parenting and you know, strengthening families, workforce development. And so being a part of that organization, even though I wasn't working for them, I was working for the University of Maryland at the time, I was connected to them. And so I would mm -hmm. submit testimony on behalf of them. I did you know, some, some small, low-hanging low, low research for them. Um, I don't know if you guys know about um, what happened to Freddie Gray. You know, the, you know, we had our own yeah. here about Laquan McDonald, but in Baltimore, you know, Freddie Gray, when he was um, uh, detained by the police and then subsequently died in, in, in police custody, um, that was around the corner, you know, Center for Urban Families was around the corner from where they, you know, where this organization uh, is. Uh, and mm. so they felt a need to hold community conversations. And they asked me and um, a couple of masters and social work students to develop a survey, uh, to analyze the results, and be a part of the community um, conversation. And so that was a rich experience for me as well. You know, so addressing some of those, those community level issues, those macro issues, uh, meant a lot to me, in addition to the work that I did um, at the detention center, you know, with fathers. So, you know, you have that sort of that group social work experience, but then you also have this macro community policy experience, and all those things uh, really get me going and get me passionate. So that's kind of, you know, where I've been and what keeps me anchored in social work. Okay. Uh, I got a question for you, bro. Uh, my bad, Dr. Ryan. You, uh, you go ahead if you got one. No, nah, you good, bro. You can go ahead. Um, how has your experience in, uh, in social work uh, helped you as a father? Yeah, it's interesting. You know... <sighs> I think, you know, you look at the theoretical piece, I think the social work underpinning provides like this ish, this, this, you know, certain values and certain theories that kind of sort of help you or hold you accountable, right, to what you're doing in your personal life. Um, so I talked about the threefold topology of father and involvement, and you start to, you know, evaluate yourself, like, okay, how accessible am I? You know, how engaged am I? And how responsible am I? And I think that helps, you know, in terms of like having a backdrop to sort of like, compare myself, right, or, or like so, sort of hold myself accountable. Uh, but also, sometimes that could be a detriment, too, because you could be so hard on yourself, right? And I think that's been, that's been an issue, too. It's kind of like, you know, there's no perfect uh, recipe for fatherhood, right? You, it, you know, you, day by day, you learn, right? You know, what, what your child or what your family brings or what your partner brings to that, to that table you have to sort of insert yourself into that, right? And so you can't be so hard on yourself. And I feel like, you know, as of lately, I've been kind of hard on myself because I'm trying to figure this thing out, like, you know, 
it, it felt so much easier, you know, when you, when children are younger, right? You're kind of like, you know, this is my daddy, this is what it is, you know. And then they get to a certain age, and you're like, well, you want them to sort of like go through things, right? But you always want to be there, you know. But at the same time, it's kind of like it's that it's that balance. And so I think here's another important sort of so, social psychosocial uh, lens is life course, right? People change throughout the life course, right? And, and, and identity shift. And, and sort of knowing that, right, is important. And I think that really helps me. Another thing is, um, what is it? I was just about to have, I'm, I'm blanking on it now. Values, the social work values, right? And so one of them is self-determination, Yeah. right? And as children, even two-year-olds kind of fit, you know, think about a two-year-old, right? They kind of know what they want. This is what they want. But of course, you know, you're their parent and you got to like, okay, now they're not as rational, <laughs> right? So you're going to kind of like, okay, you're tripping. You're not going to do that. So there's not much, so much self-determination for a two-year-old, right? But as they get 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and they start to learn about fairness and what they want to be and what they don't want to be, you have to allow some, some, sort of uh, a bit of self-determination for your children, right? They're not too anymore, mm. right? And so how do you balance like sort of like self-determination, but also still be responsible, right? So how, how you know, you, it's, how can you answer that question, right? You wanna provide a level of self-determination, but still be a responsible parent. What does that look like, yeah. right? How much do you let go? And how much do you sort of let, you know, how much do you sort of like pull back and say, uh-uh, nope. You know, you, this is my household. This is how things are done. You know, so you have to figure that balance out. And I think it's been sort of tricky. So I think to answer your question, social work has been helpful, but also, you know, at the same time, you know, we have to learn to to live and let go, right? There's no perfect method. That yeah, sounds like your, that sounds like your next study, man. Huh? I, I maybe so. <laughs> the long one. <laughs> All right, so we self study. So. <laughs> We're um, we're getting close to time. I think we may be a little bit over the, the thirty minute mark, but okay. um, I have That's one, cool one one. Yeah, it's cool. This has been a, a great interview for us. Thanks um, for the opportunity. I have one last question though. Um, like, if you could give like any advice to a, a new father, uh, a father who may be struggling with trying to find that balance, like how you were saying, mm -hmm. uh, what what would it be? Yeah. So right now, if I, if I could like sort of like if have my, if I've journaled sort of my experience, it's kind of like embrace each moment, right? Um, you know, I actually have a, a friend um, who's expecting, right? We're the same age. Okay. Yeah, I'm 41, right? And this is his first child? First child. Okay. I'm, 40, I'm 41. Now, here we go. Let me, let me give you a little perspective here. So my wife and I met at 18. Mm -hmm. right at lincoln university we got engaged at 19 at lincoln university a year out of lincoln university from graduating we got married in 2003 we had our first child in 2003 it's 2021 now right <laughs> so that's a lot of that's a lot of history right yeah so i've we've grown up together right essentially right me and my wife right so there's that my friend he found the love of his life, right? You know, but of course this happened, you know, post 35, right? So he's a different person, you know, she's a different person, you know, um, 
they're figuring things out at this age, but they're much more mature, right? They have an advantage because they're, they're mature now. But at the same time, the energy level is a little different, right? Well, you know, you know, I start off in being a dad at 23, right? 41 is different, right? So, but anyway, that's kind of a side, right? I would say, enjoy every moment. There are gonna be some waking nights, right? There are gonna be some scary times, there are gonna be some exciting times, there are gonna be family trips, right? Embrace all that. Right, because go to the go to the you know plays, go to the school events, go to the basketball games, go to the football games, soccer, um, music, musical performances, do all those sorts of things. Um, at a certain time, those things will sort of be less, right? But that doesn't mean you know the love isn't there, right? It's just a little different, right? So you have to really be creative about finding time to spend together, but be there, right? Uh, your children are gonna do some things that you're gonna like, what? And you're gonna do some things that, you know, are not gonna be the greatest things in your child, your children's eyes, right? So be kind to yourself, be kind to them, right? Um, listen to them, allow them to talk and express themselves, right? Uh, it's kind of hard to have a no judgment zone when they, they're your own children, but try to create that, right? And my wife is really great at that because she works in education. You know, I started, I stopped working with youth at the age of 23. I started working with adults for the most part, but she's been working with youth since we got out of school, since the age of, you know, 22, 23, she's been working with youth. That's been her thing. So she's able to sort of apply her experience with our own children. And she's able to remove the personal feelings out of it. Right. And sometimes I'm not, I'm like, you know, like, wait a minute, no, this is my job. <laughs> And so being able to sort of like remove your personal feelings can provide you a perspective and a more sort of unbiased uh, way of, a, you know, talking to your children, particularly when they get older, right? And so yeah. try to figure that out, you know, try to figure out that balance. Um, so again, really just take your time, enjoy every single moment. Moments are going to change and embrace those moments that change too, right? And find a new way, just know that parenting it's not going to be a static experience. It's going to be a changing, transforming experience uh, for you and your children and, and, and stay prayed up. Okay. <laughs> I like that, man. Um, especially like what you were saying, um, removing like your personal feelings. Yeah. That's, that's uh, a big one, but it's like really hard to do that. It's hard. So, yeah, man, uh, listening more too, man. Being uh, being able to listen to your kids—that's that's a really big one, man. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely appreciate uh, your insights and your story, Doctor Brandon. Thank you very uh, much for your time. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, if, if people had to get wanted to get in contact with you or anything else that you had going on, yes, time, you got the floor, man. Uh, plug yourself. Plug your everything. All right. Appreciate that. So if you want to reach out to me, uh, Brandon McLeod, you can reach me uh, via email uh, at B as in Brandon, M as in McLeod, C-L-E-O-D-7, the number seven, at UIC.edu. Uh, you can also uh, reach me in my office at 312-996-2251. And I look forward to connecting. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. This, this was a great interview. Thank you so much. I appreciate all the insights you provided. You you have a lot of wisdom, man. 
Thank you. Y'all do too. Yeah, we all just collect, collective wisdom. I can't hold all that, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for joining us. Um, yeah, thanks again, man. Your thing. Uh, let's stay connected. Yeah, we'll do. All right. All right. Sure. This is another one, another classic WTF interview. Thanks for listening. And uh, stay tuned for further announcements. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening to WTF Interviews. If you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us via our website, wtfatherhood.org. Also, our Facebook page and our Facebook group will be listed in the description below as well. Uh, I ask you to leave a a review as it helps more people receive the message. And uh, again, until next time, be well. You already are.